Are you dissatisfied with your spiritual progress, feeling stuck without knowing why, even after deliverance prayers or years of therapy? Recover your dignity, find your purpose, and discover the thrill of walking with God once again. Explore spiritual consultations with Sonia at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Click Go Deeper on the homepage, then one-on-one, and find out how to cooperate more deeply with the Holy Spirit's action in your life with a spiritual consultation. If you like having Bible study in your pocket and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? Search Bible Study Evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia. It's the Bible Study Evangelista show, and I'm Sonia Corbett, your Catholic Evangelista. We are beginning today our Somata series. Somata means bodies in Greek. And so we're looking at faith and physical healing. Here's the outline of what I'm going to do. So today we're going to talk about what the Bible and what the church says about the body. And in fact, the whole series is about that in certain ways. We're going to follow somewhat the catechism and also a couple of documents from the church. Uh, Redemptive Suffering by John Paul II and the Instruction on Prayers for Healing by Cardinal Ratzinger. The Catechism. uh, Church History. We're going to look at lots of stuff in this particular study. We're going to sort of follow this structure from the Catechism. We're looking at the creation of the body, specifically of the body, then the degradation of the body and the fall, the revelation of the body in Christ and science and healing, and then the elevation of the body in the Eucharist and healing and resurrection and the second coming. But before I get into that, I'd like to take a few moments to revisit the last show of the previous series, Cherished, in which we looked at how God is using our vocations to heal us. And in that last show, in the last segment of the last show, I ran through really quickly a sort of, um, I shared with you the story of how my husband this year has joined me in ministry. And I talked about how he, his anger partly from the past and some trauma from his past, but then also from the the job that he was in, well, for several years, um, how that sort of all culminated in a crisis of faith, I'll say, uh, both in our marriage and in him and in me, and how I reached out to a friend of mine for some work with him. Now, this friend, I didn't mention there... This friend's name is Jansen Bagwell, and you have probably seen him and heard him in the Spiritual Gifts series that we did, the online Spiritual Gifts conference. You probably met him at our Standing in the Word retreat back in Alabama. I have been friends with him and his wife, Amanda, for several years. I have made it a priority to research and undergo the healing ministries that the church offers that I know of. And then, of course, those outside uh, the, the church, meaning the medical fields, the psychology fields, psychotherapy, those kinds of things. And so I know Jansen. I actually knew him uh, before we worked together. 
but I went through his program, Discipleship Deliverance, and you can find that on wholecatholic.com. And I did that as a way of discovering, as is my rule, I did the same with uh, I Am Ministry Training with Bob Schutz and Bert. Uh, I did the same with Encounter. I've done several of those things, uh, Gabor Matei, Unbound with Neil Lozano. Lots of different ministries in the church offer different kinds of healing. And so I have personally been involved with at least those that I've named. And the idea of a psychology of evil and hating intelligently, I got from Jansen. So he had he does a really good job of sort of focusing on battling the enemy. I knew that my husband would benefit from what Jansen does because discipleship deliverance teaches you how to stand in your authority in Christ and how to exercise dominion in your sphere of influence. And I know and knew because Jansen and I both come from Protestant backgrounds, we both had a really good rooting. Uh, I could tell just in talking with him and knowing him that we share not only a background in Protestantism, but also that sort of deeply rooted faith. There's a specific way that Protestantism approaches a relationship with God, and it does center quite a bit in standing in your authority in Christ and how to do battle with the enemy. And that's not something that the Catholic Church does a really good job at yet. I think both he and I and Bert shoots, especially with uh, I am ministries and encounter, we're working toward that as Catholics who, who have been exposed to that power. We are working to help Catholics do that as well, so that Catholics and the Church, you and I, can be free from those things that hold us back from living the abundant life, the eternal life that Jesus talks about, and. Because of that, um, that's kind of how we found each other, I, I believe. I, I think Amanda had said that she had read my book, Fearless, and felt like I was saying the same stuff he was saying. And so we we connected, and we found that we shared a view of how God works to heal us, to deliver us, to save us, all of those terms that... Um, that we learned first in our non-Catholic faith, but that really came to fulfillment and fruition in the church and specifically through the sacraments. So when my husband was going through that really difficult, dark time, and it was many years of that, um, when I contacted Jansen and he saw my husband and I, I communicated, I believe in that show, how dramatic it was. And it was over several months, a couple of hours every week for several months. And it was dramatic for my husband because although he grew up in the Nazarene church, he wasn't as active even in his faith as a child. So he didn't have the, the rootedness and the basis in his faith the way, the way I had and the way I knew that Jansen had too. So anyway, my point is that Jansen brought all of that to bear in an area where I couldn't do that for my husband, first of all, because I'm his wife. It was just a natural, it was a natural impulse for me to reach out to Jansen. And I am so glad that I did because it freed my husband 
from this cloud of anger that he had been under and that had been affecting our marriage and our lives together and even my ministry. So I'm so thankful to him and also to Amanda. Um, They were at my oldest son's wedding and it was just, it was beautiful to see them there because the two of them together, they work as a team as well. The two of them as a team serve as an inspiration to my husband and I, um, along with a couple of other people in ministry. Um, down in Texas, I have a couple friends down there too. Um, Veronica Wilson, she knows who she is and her husband. Um, anyway, they they work together as well. And just several, several marriage partnerships that um, we used sort of as inspiration for us coming together. And that would never have been possible, as I mentioned in that cherished episode, that last of the cherished episodes, it would have never been possible had my husband not worked with Jansen. I'm convinced of it. So I want to just thank him and Amanda both and whole Catholic and point you there since I ran out of time in that last segment and let you know about that ministry and let you go poke around and see if that's something that that might be able to help you or your husband or your wife or your priest. So As we're talking about healing and even deliverance, it's very important that we not discount the body. I've heard, and I even held this view as a Protestant, that spiritual healing is the whole emphasis of the Bible. And specifically, I remember reading John 6 that talks about the Eucharist. Jesus says, if you eat my body and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. And when I read that as a Protestant, I understood that to be a spiritual meaning, particularly because he says later on in that chapter that my words are spirit and life. And so because of my background in Protestantism, which wasn't very rooted in in the teachings of the church, that the Bible itself, the whole the whole focus of it is really the spirit the soul, healing the spirit and the soul. So that what really matters is spiritual healing. And then that means that physical healing is only of secondary importance. But when we take that view, we deny the value that Jesus himself put on the body and and God himself and the Bible itself puts on the body. But I'm going to show you in this episode, I believe that it is undeniable. In part, the incarnation itself shows us this value that Jesus puts on the body. And then by extension, the assumption of Mary and how she was assumed body and soul. So her body was saved. (laughs) And not just at the assumption, her body was the temple of God at the incarnation. And the church itself is called the body of Christ in the scriptures. And then we have the Eucharist, which is Jesus's body. We eat his body and drink his blood. So the body is of great emphasis in the scriptures and in the teaching of the church. In the New Testament, particularly, we can see that the the emphasis that Jesus placed on the salvation of the body was alongside the preaching of the kingdom and the casting out of demons and devils. So God heals the whole person. (laughs) 
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. Let's get social. I'm no longer on Facebook, so come and connect with me in the new Catholic Evangelista community. Visit BibleStudyEvangelista.com and click Community on the menu, or scroll down to the radio notes and click the link to our community. We're sharing pics and prayers, love the word takeaways and insights on the daily readings, and everything else social. Come share with me. Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation then is not simply of the spirit. It's not simply of the eternal soul. It is also of the body. And this week in working on the physical healing part of the sacred healing masterclass, it struck me that there are several passages in the prophets that talk about how as the body ages, it should still be sound and fruitful. So even aging, even though that ends in death, and we'll talk about that in in subsequent shows, even though that's true because of original sin, it still should also be true that the body is sound, that it be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. So this whole series is on that subject. How do we, how do we keep our bodies sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because Simeon the theologian said that he who has seen the uncreated light and united with God is not awaiting the second coming, but living it. So how do we live the second coming, which is characterized by the judgment of the works done in the body and the resurrection of the body? I I find that fascinating. I've been meditating on that quote since I found it. I'm reading um, healing in the the fathers, in the the historical writings of the fathers, and that was in there. And I have been meditating on that since I saw it. He who has seen the uncreated light and united with God is not awaiting the second coming, but living it. Wow. So, in redemptive suffering, John Paul II said that the Bible often links moral sufferings with the pain of specific parts of the body. One cannot deny that the moral sufferings have a physical or a somatic element and that they are often reflected in the state of the entire organism. Now, I cannot wait to get into that and dig around in it, but I'd like to talk about the view of the body that most Christians have, and it comes really from Plato, who said that the body is the tomb of the soul. (laughs) And he had this view of sort of walking around in our bodies like a ball and chain, just dragging it around. You know, it's just something we have to live in until, you know, praise the Lord, we can die and be freed from the body. And yet that's not what the Bible shows us is a proper view 
of the body, and it's not what the church shows us is the proper view of the body. St. Paul says that the body is not a tomb, but a temple in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And in fact, after Plato, who was one of the earliest philosophers, uh, Greek philosophy, after him, there was a whole series of other philosophers who sort of had that same view. And then we have the advent of Christ, the incarnation, the passion, death, and resurrection, the establishment of the church, and then the writings of the church fathers as they reflect on what the body means and how Christ elevated the body. And then we have Thomas Aquinas and and all of those theologians and philosophers. And now we have a really beautiful picture of what the human person is, a unity of heart, which is the seat of the soul, the image of God, identity. It communes with God. It's the reservoir of love. The heart is contained in the soul, which is the personality and the mind or thought and reason, emotion, memory, intellect, and will. So the heart is contained in the soul and the soul is contained in the body or the strength, the speech, the action, the five senses. And so The human person, the catechism says, is a unity of spirit and matter. And the catechism speaks very beautifully about this. Soul also refers to the innermost aspect of man, that which is of greatest value in him, that by which he is most especially in God's image. Soul signifies the spiritual principle in man. For this reason, man may not despise his bodily life. Rather, he is obliged to regard his body as good and to hold it in honor since God has created it and will raise it up on the last day. The unity of soul and body is so profound that one has to consider the soul to be the form of the body. That word form is a a philosophical term. It means substance. The soul is the substance or the form of the body. That is, it is because of its spiritual soul that the body made of matter becomes a living human body. Spirit and matter in man are not two natures united, but rather their union forms a single nature. The church teaches that every spiritual soul is created immediately by God. It is not produced by the parents. I absolutely love that. I have really been meditating on this for quite a bit of time, in part because my last speaking event up in Long Island, New York, this was the first time I actually did this talk. And so I really had to synthesize and distill all of the information that I had been studying, both for the masterclass and also for this series and also for that talk. And I have just been really thinking about the beauty of how the church teaches us the importance of the body. And in fact, as I was preparing for that talk, it reminded me of something that I learned many years ago, but that I actually shared in my book Fulfilled on the tabernacle. Because in the Old Testament tabernacle, that tabernacle was the worship structure of the Jewish people, and it was prescribed by God on Mount Sinai, and the plans for that were given to Moses. And it, those plans are included in the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament, what the Jewish people call the Torah or the Pentateuch. And that that tabernacle in the Old Testament included a an inner room 
that was screened off by a woven veil or a woven curtain or a woven screen, depending on your translation of the scriptures in Exodus 26, you can, you'll see that word veil or screen or curtain used there. And it was a woven sort of tapestry like curtain. It wasn't like a curtain that you hang up in the window. It was really, really thick, like something you see in a castle. And it screened the Holy of Holies from both the eyes of the people, but also the priest as he did his duties on in, inside the sanctuary of the tabernacle, which itself was also enclosed and and covered by an outer veil. But the inner veil had some particular symbolism associated with it. In part, it was hand-woven by the women and embroidered with cherubim, in specific colors, and and the main thing about it was that it stood before the incense altar, and it screened the presence of God that rested on the Ark of the Covenant. The Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, they didn't use, they didn't have superlatives the way we do. We, we would say good, better, best, but they didn't have that kind of terminology, so instead, in order to express the superlative of something, they would say something three times. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. Or they would say X of X. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, song of songs, king of kings, Lord of lords, holy of holies. So the holy of holies was the holiest place on earth. And in fact, that area... Oh, man, I I could do a whole show just on that, the Holy of Holies, because the Holy of Holies, the Garden of Eden, was also said to be the Holy of Holies of creation, which is seen as the Jewish people as the Holy of Holies of all of creation. So that woven screen then in that innermost room of the tabernacle screened the presence of God from the view of the people and the view of the priest. And only the high priest was allowed into that Holy of Holies only one day a year on the highest holy day of the year, which was the Day of Atonement. The high priest went in with blood, the blood of the atonement sacrifice. He sprinkled it on the mercy seat, and that would atone for the sin of the entire people for that year. And then, of course, they began accruing the sins again for the next year. But the priest was allowed in only on that one day, and as he sprinkled the blood of the atonement on the mercy seat, he would speak the name of God that was revealed to Moses in the burning bush. And it is thought that it would have been those breath sounds. If you notice, in depending on your translation, I am can be translated Yahweh or Ye- Yehovah. And so you can see how that's breathy, ah, eh, e, ah. Ooh, it's got the breath or the the short vowel sounds. And so it's it's thought, of course we don't know, it's thought that the name of God I am is actually the breath, the breath sounds, the short vowel sounds. And in Exodus chapter 40 verse 21 it says, "And he Moses brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned off or screened the Ark of the Testimony as the Lord commanded Moses. That testimony meaning the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, the Testimony.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. Moses brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned or screened off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, your translation is probably going to sound a little bit different, but that's Exodus chapter 40, verse 21. And the reason I point that out is because that word is used exclusively throughout the Old Testament to speak of screening through this veil or in reference to the vestments of the Old Testament priesthood, which were another type of veil or curtain or screening. The vestments of the priesthood veiled or screened the body of the priest. And in the same way, this veil of the testimony screened the presence of God on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And this word, partition or screened, it's used exclusively throughout the Old Testament to talk about this screening in the Old Testament tabernacle, the screening of the presence of God. And what's fascinating, though, is that it actually does occur one other place in the Bible in a different context. And it is absolutely utterly stunning. You have heard this verse probably a million times, but in Psalm chapter 139, in verse 13, it says, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. In verse 16, it says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And so there in verse 13, what we see is it depends on your translation again. But mine says, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. In another translation, it says, you wove me together in my mother's womb. That word covered or wove is the same word that's used for that tabernacle veil in the Old Testament. So what we see is that in the same way that the vestments of the priests covered their bodies and the same way that the veil in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle screened God's presence, the body of the psalmist was woven together and covered the soul in his mother's womb. I think that is absolutely stunning. So we see then that the flesh is meant to veil the presence of God. And that is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians six nineteen that the body is not a tomb, but a temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit with a soul that is immediately created by God and the body woven together along with the procreation of our parents. And the soul is the form of of the body or the substance. And that's where we get uh, one thirty Psalm 139, 16. It says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. 
Your eyes saw my substance, the soul, yet being unformed. I love that. That means what uh, Gaudium et Spes says, that the only creature on earth that God made or willed or wanted for its own sake is the human person. The human person is the only creature on earth that he made for its own sake. You were made for your own sake. Your soul was immediately and directly created by God. Your body was woven together under his providence, we should we could say, or even direction <laughs> through the co-creation and the procreation of your parents. And he wanted you for your own sake, just because of you, not because of what you had already done, but just because he wanted you. So your body then, you can see, is holy. It's as holy as the soul or the image of God. In fact, the church fathers, there were many of the early Christians, I say many, but there were some of the early Christians that actually died for this particular assertion of the church. There were two heresies in the early church, and I would argue actually are pretty active even now, but Gnosticism said that the body is evil or it's irrelevant, and that seems to have come directly from the Greek philosophers, namely Plato, which I've already mentioned, but all the way up through the advent of Christ. So Gnosticism said that the body is evil or irrelevant and only the spirit matters. So you can see that my early Protestant view was actually heretical, and I, I didn't know it. There was another another heresy at the time called docetism, and it said that Jesus just seemed to have a body. It He seemed to have died, been born and died in his body, but he didn't really have a body. It just seemed that he did. He was really completely divine. And so the church fought against those two heresies, sometimes unto death, but vehemently throughout church history. And yet we can see that it's kind of creeped in even now where everything on the one hand in the church, and I think this is actually probably a reaction to the humanism of our day, the materialism of our day that just says the body is everything. I mean, just do whatever your body wants. And and I'm sure that in some ways, this emphasis on the spiritual aspect of the human person is an attempt to correct this sort of materialist, materialistic view in secular society. But at the same time, if we would answer it properly, if we would answer and I'm not saying the church hasn't done this because clearly, you know, Gaudium et Spes and Veritati uh, Splendor, those documents speak to this idea uh, clearly, as does the Bible and church history. So I'm not I'm not attacking. I'm just saying that as a as a mystical body, the church seems to have this idea that the spirit and the soul is the only thing that matters. And we operate in that all the time because we don't really take care of our bodies. We pamper our bodies. But we don't actually care for them. We don't eat properly. We don't sleep like we should. We don't exercise the way we know we should. We don't actually take care of the body until it's sick. And so the emphasis is always on the spiritual aspect. When if we had a really good 
rounded, holy view of the Bible, I think it would counteract a lot of this materialism that we do see in secular society. But in either case, I want to just emphasize that thinking and believing that the body is irrelevant or it's evil and it's just a ball and chain you got to drag around till you're dead, that is a heresy. So we really need to, it's a timely focus, I think, on physical healing, just so that we can get a really balanced view of the human body. Because the gospel is not just intellectual, it's not just spiritual, it's not just moral, it's not just philosophical, it's not just doctrinal, it's not all about the mind, which is the part of the, is part of the soul. There, it is a gospel of the body. And you see that really clearly in Veritatis Splendor, um, that document of the church by John Paul II. But Jesus came to save the whole person. He came to make the human person a temple of God. The Christian becomes a member of Jesus's body, which is the church, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 27. And then because of Christ and because he came in a body, because he was incarnate in Mary and he was resurrected, our bodies are so important, they will also be resurrected. And the assumption echoes the importance of the body in that Mary was raised body and soul. Her body matters. And in fact, I have, I've heard people say that the body just really doesn't matter. I made the comment that Jesus isn't white and, and most people, you know, most people know that. That I didn't know that when I was younger. I didn't at all. And it was a little bit of a surprise, to be honest. But when you go to the Holy Land, you can't get away from that idea. Jesus is not white. He's, he's Mediterranean. He's Jewish. He's Coptic. And so he's brown. And his body does matter. He chose a particular race to become incarnate in. He chose a body of a particular race in a particular time in history, in a particular geography, because all of those things matter. All of those things matter. It matters what your race is. It matters what it's not. It matters where you live and where you were born and what time in history. All of those things actually matter because the physical matters. And physical healings throughout church history show us that Jesus cares about the body. Jesus healed, and then he commissioned the 12 disciples to also heal. He said, proclaim the gospel and heal the sick. And not only them, but also the 70 after them to heal. And then there, were, there are multiple, multiple writings in the church fathers and records of healings throughout church history, especially in the very beginning of the church. And they start in the book of Acts. We see it in Acts and it goes all the way through to the, the end of the New Testament. Paul himself says that he preaches in power, not just in word, in power. And he means in healings and in, in the power of the spirit of God. So offering up suffering and just doing that is in some ways a, a refusal of faith it's a refusal of the body and if you believe that all we're supposed to do with physical suffering is offer it up then I would just simply ask why do you take Advil
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. If you love having Bible study in your pocket, you can become a friend of the show. Click on the yellow friend of the show button on BibleStudyEvangelista.com and become a supporter of any amount and any frequency. Now, here's Sonia. Jesus spent a lot of time healing the sick, and he understood that healing was a central part of his whole mission. It was part of what was prophesied about him in the Old Testament, in the prophecies. And so his healings were a demonstration of the arrival of the kingdom of God, and it wasn't just a confirmation of his message. He was showing the power of God. And so he he sometimes healed out of compassion, sometimes he healed as a way of deliverance. Sometimes he was just demonstrating the glory of God. But either way, he never told a single human being, offer it up. He always healed. Always. The instruction on the prayers for healing from uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, it says, in the public activity of Jesus, his encounters with the sick are not isolated, but continual. He healed many through miracles so that miraculous healings characterized his activity. Jesus went around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and curing every disease and illness, it says in Matthew 9. These healings are signs of his messianic mission, Luke 7. They manifest the victory of the kingdom of God over every kind of evil and become the symbol of the restoration to health of the whole human person, body and soul. I love that. Body and soul. And so Jesus then, he sent people out to proclaim the gospel and to heal the sick. And there is no commissioning, actually, of Jesus' disciples to proclaim the gospel that he does not also send them to heal the sick. And in the gospels, it's like a quarter, almost a quarter of the entire content of the gospels refer to healing the sick in one form or another. I mean, they talk about it all the time. So the body then is important. The body is important. We have quotes from church history, too. Um, we see throughout the, the Gospels, the healings of Christ. And then because the church is the body of Christ, Peter healed and Paul healed. And the church fathers talk about healing all throughout their writings. St. Irenaeus of um, Lyons, he says in Against Heresies, he says, Others still heal the sick, yea, moreover, the dead even have been raised up and remained among us for many years. St. Justin Martyr said, In the name of Jesus Christ, Christian men have healed and do heal, rendering helpless and driving the possessing devils out of men, though they could not be cured by all other exorcists and those who used incantation and drugs. Again, St. Irenaeus, by praying to the Lord who made all things, only by calling down upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, does the church even now cure thoroughly and effectively all who everywhere believe in Christ. Origen said uh, in 185 through somewhere between 185 and 254, we too have seen many set free from severe complaints. Hilary of Poitiers, 
uh, a doctor of the church, said that we become steadfast in hope and receive abundant gifts in healing. Origin, not a few cures are wrought in the name of Jesus and in and certain other manifestations of no small significance have taken place. St. Theodore of Mopsueste, somewhere between 350 and 428, said many heathen among us are being healed by Christians from whatever sickness they have. So abundant are miracles in our midst. St. Augustine of Hippo in the City of God said that it is only two years ago that the keeping of records was begun here in Hippo and already at this writing we have nearly 70 attested miracles. Just so many, St. Anthony of the Desert, St. Patrick, St. Martin of Tours, St. Cuthbert, St. Augustine of Canterbury, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Stanislaus, St. Vincent Ferrer, St. Francis Paola, St. John Bosco, St. Seraphim of Sarov, St. John of Kronstadt, St. Pope Carilios the Sixth, St. Padre Pio. So many of the saints had healing gifts. They employed their faith in the healing of other people, and they did so at the command of Christ himself. And so how are we off the hook for something similar? Why don't we pray for healing for other people more frequently? Why it's I'll tell you why, because we don't really have the faith that God will do it, first of all. But there have also been many, many saints throughout the years who have also used the healing gifts through their medical profession. I have someone in consultation who is a um, in the medical field, and she sees her role as a healer, a physical healer in that in that medical field. Why not? Cosmos and Damien, Saints Cosmos and Damien were both medical doctors. Saint Luke of the Gospel of Luke, he was a doctor. So healing can come from all of those places. I'm not just saying, you know, just pray for healing and and that should be it. All I'm really saying is that the body matters. That's what I'm saying. And that God wants to heal the body. And what has happened to our bodies is that we have abused them. We have allowed our emotions to be to be suppressed and denied the reality and the truth of our emotions for so long that the symptoms erupt physically, which we'll talk about in another show. But we know now through an enormous body of research that 80% of all physical maladies and, and disease have emotional roots, emotional spiritual roots. That is stunning 80 percent and the bible itself talks about specific maladies and how they're connected to specific parts of the body which we'll talk about in another show too but my point is what we do in the body affects the soul that was the main thrust of veritate splendor which spoke about how the body is subject to moral law to natural law so that what we do in the body necessarily affects the soul because the body and the soul of the human being are not two natures united, the catechism says, but one nature, one unity. The human person is a unity of spirit and matter. So the body then is affected by what happens in the soul and vice versa. So that's part of why then we're told May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a duty then to start 
paying some attention to our bodies, not in a pampering way, but in a way that is truly healthy. What is our body saying to us about the things that we've been doing to it, both physically and emotionally and spiritually? What are the symptoms? What are the messages that the body has been sending that you have been neglecting, that you haven't been listening to. Now, look, I have a case study I'm going to share with you on this because as I was studying for it, I I realized I was guilty here and that some stuff that I had marked down as just simple stress was actually not just simple stress. It was a reaction of my body to some things from the past, and I was blown away by that. So we're going to talk about some practical ways to heal things like trauma, to heal things like compacted and repressed emotion, how to listen, not not to focus solely on the physical, but how to listen to all of them, the soul and the body, so that we can keep the soul and spirit and body sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul commands. So the body is holy. It is the temple of God. It will be raised from the dead at the resurrection. And wherever your soul ends up at the judgment, your resurrected body will follow you there. So if you're in hell, you're going to suffer in the body, in your resurrected body. Your perfected resurrected body will suffer in hell along with your soul. If you're in the beatitude, in the bliss of heaven with God, your resurrected body is going to enjoy what that means in that that renewed and transformed body along with your soul. And so for now, then in the church, which is Christ's body, the sacraments are ordered to the body and there is no greater healing power. This is the big canon of the church. There is no greater healing power than the sacrament of anointing. And you should seek out the sacrament of of anointing. We're going to talk about this in another show, the, the liturgy and the the way the church speaks about physical healing in that sacrament is absolutely beautiful but it's not just for physical healing and it and it wasn't understood that way in the earliest church it was for healing the spirit the soul the heart the mind all of those along with the body so if you have any malady if you have any place that needs to be healed. Seek out your priest and ask for that anointing of the sick because your body is holy. It's the temple of God. Veritati Splendor says that the moral law calls man by the creator to direct and regulate his life and actions and in particular to make use of his own body. Only in reference to the human person in his unified totality, that is, as a soul which expresses itself in a body, and a body informed by an immortal spirit, can the specifically human meaning of the body be grasped. He goes on to say that fulfillment of the human person can always and only take place in human nature, which is a body and a spirit. Man's fulfillment, your fulfillment takes place in your body. And that is why Jesus said the new covenant, this is the new covenant in my body. The body matters. Next week, we're talking about the creation of the body from dust. I'm Sonia Corbett, the Catholic Evangelista, and I'll see you then.
Thank you for listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Find out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com.